Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. everyone and welcome back to another week of women to watch i'm sue rocco thanks so much for being with me this week joining me in just a moment my guest will be maggie wilkinson and maggie is the founder and ceo of athena global advisors here in philadelphia Um, As always, for all things show-related, you can find out more, um, particularly our lineup of guests, at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And we'd love for you to go to our new YouTube page um, where you can find the show every week and subscribe. And you can find us at W2W Media. Um, So the at symbol W2W Media um, on YouTube, if that's where you go for your videos. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Maggie Wilkinson. Hi, Sue. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Thanks for um, having me. I'm happy to. Um, so, of course, as I was digging into your um, your background and a little bit of your bio, there's there's several things that stood out for me. Um, and if, if we're starting at the very beginning, I, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the community you grew up in in Memphis. What was that neighborhood like for you? Sure. So I, um, I grew up in a neighborhood called Central Gardens in Memphis, and it was a very diverse community in Midtown, close to downtown. And um, I can remember as a young girl, I rode my bike everywhere. Um, I was, uh, you asked me to find some photos of when I was younger and I noticed that I was often with a bike and um, I have lots of memories of riding my bike everywhere. And there were streets that we had to stay between. So we had to stay between Central and Peabody and Roselle and McLean. And um, when the streetlights came home on, we, we went home at night because you know, we didn't have cell phones. Nobody could reach us. So we just went out and played all day. And then when the streetlights came on, we came back home. So it was a very um, magical time, really, I think. I I uh, agree. I think we we certainly grew up in a, I would say, easier time um, than than kids today. And that's such a common story, being out all day, the streetlights come on and we go home. I was very similar um, in my upbringing. Um, I loved how you described your relationship with your grandfather. And I wonder if you can talk about him for a few minutes and, you know, what are some of the things that he um, shared with you, instilled with you that are your your fondest memories? So um, my grandfather um, lived outside Memphis, 60 miles south um, in uh, Holly Springs, Mississippi. He had a farm there. And he had an eighth grade education. He had grown up in Iowa. He was the youngest of eight children. And when his father passed away, he finished eighth grade and went to work. Um, so he was completely self-made. And um, a little gruff if you met him. Um, 
probably the smartest person I've ever known. I absolutely adored him as a child. I'm, I'm one of four, but we had a particularly close relationship. And I, of the four children, visited him the most. Um, and I think part of it was a it was a little rougher existence when we went down there and visited with him. Uh, he he had a small house on a farm, and it was a little rough. And um, you know you'd get dirty. We would go out in the cow pastures, and um, I'd go fishing with him. I have wonderful memories of fishing with him. I can remember one time we fished all afternoon this little pond that was about a twenty minute walk from the house that we went to often, and I caught a turtle. And um, which was really surprising. And, you know, it was really hard to reel in. It was very heavy. And um, he put the the turtle in the cooler and we kept fishing and we finished. And he looked at me and said, well, it looks like turtle soup for dinner. This is all we caught. And so we started to go up this sort of incline that you had to go up to get out of the perimeter of the lake. And. I suddenly grabbed the cooler from him and I opened it and I grabbed the turtle and I ran as fast as I could and I threw it oh my God. back in the lake. And um, yeah. I remember him looking at me and he, and he called me Margaret and he said, hell, Margaret, what did you do? And I said, Grandy, I just can't eat turtle for dinner. I just can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> you had to send him free. Yes. <laughs> but he taught me how to drive. He had a, he had a Ford pickup truck. And when I was 11, he taught me how to drive. And it was, the house was on a dirt road. It was down a bunch of dirt roads. And he would send me out. And um, when I was probably 12 or 13, and I would go pick up supplies for him at the store that was close oh by. Gosh. Oh, my god! And I would drive back. And I can still remember him telling me, don't tell your mother. So, oh, my you know. God. <laughs> <laughs> how old were you when you, you know, when you first started to go spend time with him? Were you real small or was it when you, you know? No, I, not by myself. We would all, we would go as a family frequently on Sunday afternoons. And I can mm-hmm. remember he had a wonderful garden in the backyard and we would pick vegetables out of the garden. And I really thought that was subpar somehow as a little girl that we weren't getting our groceries from the grocery store. You know, that, yeah. it struck me as odd and, you know, they would have dirt all over them and everything. And, yeah. and you know, I realized as I got older, how special it was Yes, um, that we, we had, this bounty in the backyard. Yes. But um, I was probably 10 when I started visiting with him on my own. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I noticed you had a lot of jobs, you know, I when did. you were young. And I and mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, how important do you think it is for, for young people to work, you know, before they're out of college, let's say? I think it's hugely important. And I I remember when my own children, who are now in their mid-20s, were applying to college, a college advisor uh, from a real, or an admissions officer from a, a really good college, saying, you know, we look now not just for exotic experiences, but for the kid that worked at the Dunkin' Donuts in town mm-hmm. and, you know, had a steady job because there there seems to be this zeal to sort of leave the country and, you know, uh, build, you know, things uh, in other places and come back and talk about it, which is wonderful. And I don't want to knock that. But she said, it's also, I think, really good to have a local hourly job in your mm-hmm. in your community. And I think that was so important to me establishing my own identity as a person. You know, when I was young and, you know, my first job ever was I threw a newspaper route um, in my neighborhood. And, you know, having that 
uh, relationship that I built up with some of the people in my neighborhood. And, you know, I can still remember some of them and having to go collect. You know, we still, we collected the money at the um, end of the month. I mean, this was not, there weren't online transactions where it just happened automatically. You know, we would show up and they would count out dollars and pay us. And we would mark in a ledger that we had been paid. And, you know, the money went back to the Memphis Press Cemeter, which was the paper that I threw the paper for. And um, having that identity for myself as the, as a paper girl in the neighborhood meant something. And, you know, learning to do that, um, I think was hugely important in learning how to interact with people on your own. Um, And also to, I I think learning young, um, what it means to show up, be responsible. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, (laughs) you say that there was one neighbor that, um, their roof incline was just funny the way it, it sloped down low. And I, I, uh, threw, I had a habit of throwing newspapers up on their roof. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> were you, to, you were stronger I, than you thought. Uh, yes. And I have to ring the doorbell and it was an elderly woman and she'd get very upset with me and tell me, you know, that <laughs> she couldn't believe that's I not where the paper done. belongs. Yes. <laughs> 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 oh my god. But no, I I agree with you. I think we probably grew up very similar and you know, they might seem like little jobs then, you know, whether it's at a little restaurant or babysitting or but knowing, you know, that young that you you do have to be responsible and show up and do the things you say you're going to do are mm-hmm. an incredible lesson and shouldn't wait till till adulthood. I agree. And I think it's important to practice it as, you know, yes. as you're as you're, as you're maturing and developing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think another amazing experience you had was living in Rome, um, and studying Latin, which I'm very curious as to the connection for you in, in wanting to study, you know, Latin and, and ancient studies, but what was it like living with these, the Lebanese nuns? Yeah. So I um, teach you, they were fascinating. I, this was in 1990. The World Cup was actually in Rome that summer. And I remember vividly the first time Italy scored. And I was out in a restaurant with people I'd met in the classes that I was taking. And everybody ran to their windows and banged their pots and pans together. And the whole city exploded with sound. And I was like, what has happened? And they said, we just scored. (laughs) It was just really funny. But um, I... um, I studied with a gentleman named Reggie Foster. He was a Carmelite monk from Milwaukee. Um, He passed away a few years ago. He was a saint. And uh, Reggie ran this uh, program, Istas Romae Latinitas, which was Latin summer in Rome. And he had scholars from all over the world that would come and study Latin in Latin. He taught the class in Latin. We would take field trips and, you know, he would speak in Latin and people would look at us, you know, I would think it would sort of be if somebody was speaking Chaucer's English, if you were walking around and thinking this sounds sort of familiar, but what is it? And um, Reggie had an arrangement with the Lebanese sisters and he would put up many of the young female students with the Lebanese nuns. And it was very reasonable accommodation. So it, it fit my budget. And they lived up on the Janiculum Hill and I remember that they chanted in the morning. They would get up and um, chant, and it, it was a different tone. It wasn't a a, a a octave scale the way Western music is. It was slightly different. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they also had very exotic visitors. They would have people that would come through and be there in the evenings often who would sort of disappear the next day. And I, as an adult, often wonder now what, what that was all about. Um, but they, they uh, had accommodations for us. And then they also um, fed us breakfast, which was, was, it was included in the rent. And on Sundays, it was stale bread because the baker was closed. But um, oh. <laughs> I still remember that. It was Saturday's fun. bread on Sunday. So, <laughs> um, But um, they were lovely, and they loved opera. They loved opera. And um, opera would play in the summers there at the Baths of Caracalla, which was really just incredible, and it would be broadcast. And I would come back late at night, and they would, they would sing. They were wonderful. And they were very sweet to me. I didn't have a curfew. So it was it was fine. But the next summer I came back and um, with who ended up being my husband and he was living. Um, I was we were dating and he was living um, at the American University up the street. And I was living again with the sisters and they imposed a curfew. It was very funny. Once oh. I had a boyfriend, I got oh. a curfew. <laughs> <laughs> Nuns are so smart. Aren't they? <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, you're um, you, you had significant Catholic education. How did yes. that? How do you think that shaped who you are? Oh, I think it shaped a, a lot of who I am. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it gave me a philosophical disposition. Um, I think I probably was inclined to have one anyway. But the reason I studied Latin and Greek and um, was so interested in those studies was that I was fascinated once I got to college with Plato and Aristotle. And um, I wanted to read the text in the original. And I was very interested in um, ancient political philosophy as well. And so I wanted to be able to read those texts in the original. Mm. And that really led to, to, my, to my studies. And it was around wanting to answer questions and realize and make sense of things. And I think that it gave me a critical disposition. Wow. That's really yeah. interesting. We're, when you're think, I think one of the things we think about in college, you know, and what are we going to be, what are we going to do? Yes. What was your, what was your thoughts about what you would do with that degree? Was, yeah, it, well, always, was it always to teach? It, no. And in <laughs> fact, it, it, caused great concern when I would come back to Memphis. My father already had gone out on a limb by sending me to New England to college, which was not completely unheard of in Memphis in the late mid eighties when I mm -hmm. went to college, but it was, it was still a little bit unusual. Mm -hmm. And at the school I went to, it was especially unusual. The high school I went to was not, not the high school that was as college prep oriented as some of the others. Okay. And so, um, uh, I would come home and my aunt Teresa, whom I was crazy about and also adored and was a real uh, mentor in my life, would sit me down and say, darling, are you taking any accounting classes or any, you know, anything? Business. Yes. She was, she was very, very concerned. And I, my sort of philosophy was um, that I just wanted to stretch my brain as far as I could. And so I wanted to take the most challenging classes I could to learn as much as I could while I was there. And I thought if I do that, the rest will sort of sort itself. But you're right. I got to senior year and thought, mm, what am I, what am I going to do here? And yeah. um, I decided um, 
uh, to teach with the thought then at the time that I would probably go into administration. Mm -hmm. And I did follow that path for a bit. So I, I went to, uh, I taught at two really great schools in New York City and also volunteered in Crown Heights um, teaching uh, SAT prep classes at the community center there. And then I also uh, did a program called Prep for Prep um, that also was for kids who were going to get scholarships to independent schools in New York. It was to gear them up and get them ready academically. And um, I did a Klingenstein fellowship, which was for people who were going to go into administration and um, thought about getting a PhD in education um, at um, Teachers College at Columbia and pursued some coursework there and then decided that that was not the path I wanted to take. So that was after teaching for four years. So I was teaching at that time, it rarely, and I still remember going in, the headmistress at the time was Evie Halpert, and I said, I'm, I decided I'm gonna try to get a job working for an analyst in equity research on Wall Street. And she looked at me and she said, Maggie, you've sold out. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I said, you're right, I have. <laughs> I need some money. I want my own place. I can't. Bagels are 55 cents, and I eat those every night so that I can go out on the weekends. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's so interesting. And, of course, I want to know, when did you switch um, the transition between the teaching and the and the you know, the studies and then becoming an analyst. What, how did that, what spurred that? Um, I think it was a number of things. Part of it was definitely financial, was wanting was to be it? able okay. to, you know, and thinking, um, you know, I'm now making moderately more than I did when I started. And all of my peers from college have doubled their income after four years of being out of college. And so if i play this out in 20 years, this is, you know, this is going to be a hard road to hoe. Mm. But I, um, but it was not all financial. That would, that would really be um, in, grossly inaccurate. There, there also was a part of me that wanted to spread my wings and prove myself in an environment outside of education. I felt like I'd spent my whole life there. Mm. And I thought, I want to go see what I can do um, in a different environment. And so yeah. I, I did get a job in equity research at, at Merrill Lynch, right. working for their exploration and production oil and gas analyst. Um, and he was tough. He was really tough. How do you and, get that job? How do you go from your experience? Oh, it was really hard. Getting um, that job. I did some temp jobs over the summer. I kept applying and I was volunteering in Brooklyn and I knew someone that worked in equity research at, um, at Merrill Lynch, who um, got me an interview. And okay. um, I went in and interviewed and he said, I don't know why I'm going to hire you, but I'm, I'm going to hire you. And um, yeah. uh, he um, uh, brought me in at a more junior level than, than I probably would have been, even if I just gotten out of college. So I had to kind of work my way up and prove myself. What do you uh, think, what did he see in you? What do you think he saw in you to do drive. that? Drive. I think drive. I think I looked him right in the eye and said, I want this job. And I, I know I can do it. And I'm going to kill myself to, um, to, to get this right. I need an opportunity. Wow. And I think he gave it to me. Wow. 
Boy, yeah. that speaks, yeah, that speaks to the power of really um, asking for something with full-on belief, right? Yeah, and, and you know, Sue, that's, it's interesting you say that because when we, Athena turned 10 this year, and I was thinking about, we recently um, uh, pitched a new client, and it's a big company, you know, it's a, it's a publicly traded, it's going to be a wonderful new client for us. And we were finishing up, going in and meeting them for the first time. You know, we're all prepared and ready to go and, you know, there to make sure people know that we're serious and we can do what it is that they think they might want us to do. And as we finished up, I looked them right in the eye and said, you know, people don't hire Athena because um, they've heard of us. You know, we don't, nobody Google searches us and goes, oh, that's a name I recognize. I said, it's based on, the caliber of the work. And so we have as much skin in the game as you do. And we want this work. Wow. We really, really want this. And yeah. as we left, the my colleague who was with me said, you know, Maggie, I'm thinking about doing this with you over the last seven years, you know, going in. And she said, you have never once not looked at someone at the end of the interview and told them straight out that we really want the job. And she was, I think that's, I don't think I've ever really pieced together how important that is. But yeah. there's no there's no reason not to ask, you know, no, no, but but not even that, Maggie, when you're you're asking, but you're saying, trust me, I can do this. We mm-hmm. can do this. We trust can do me, this. We can do this. We've done it before. Yes. And I do that with my employees. Sometimes we'll we'll win something new and they'll be like, Maggie. And I'm like, we can do this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a great <laughs> trait for a leader. By the way, um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. And when we come back, of course, I want to talk about. Uh, Athena itself. Um, and I also want to ask you how you met Judge Frank Caprio. Okay. Um, I'll tell you. Mentor, another mentor of you, yours. Um, stay with us. Um, we'll be back with Maggie Wilkinson. And uh, you're about to see a beautiful spot from one of our sponsors, CHOP, Children's Hospital, Philadelphia. We'll be right back. We are CHOP. And we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center. 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention, 
Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. Meeting these challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Maggie Wilkinson, and Maggie is the founder and CEO of Athena Global um, Advisors. And before before we jump into um, your meeting, Judge Frank Caprio, I, I think I should ask you where the name Athena came from for your company, for those that don't know. Oh, Maggie, I, your mic might be turned off. I'm so sorry. Is that better? That's okay. No, we're good. We're good. So um, <clears throat> Athena is um, my favorite goddess. I mean, she's she's kind of a badass. And um, yes. she uh, she's the goddess of wisdom, and she's a warrior goddess. And um, you know, it's funny you say that because when I first started Athena, I have two sisters I'm very close to. I also have a brother I'm very close to, one of four. And my um, sisters, I could tell they've been talking about it and decided to call me together about 
three years into Athena and said, you know, looks like it's this company's going to make it. We really think you should think about changing the name. Now, this would have been in 2015, 16. So pre sort of Me Too, pre. And they said, it, and Maggie, it's just so unapologetically sort of strong woman. We're just not we're just not sure about this. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, not. No, I said, you know what? It's working for us. I think we're gonna we're gonna keep it. <laughs> yeah, and what's wrong with a strong woman? There you right? go. <laughs> Listen, that's what this show is all about. We right, we need more of that. Um, well, uh, you know, I think it's nice too when you get kind of advice from someone that's critiquing something you're doing, and you just feel strong about it. I admire the fact that you didn't feel insecure and change it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, uh, yeah, and I appreciated, like, they weren't, they were very, it was meant from a place of being very, very excited for me yes. and how things were yes. going, but also just wanting to make sure that I was set up to be successful, as, yes. as successful as possible. Yeah, yeah. actually, I, in 2012, I had people question the name Women to Watch. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and very so I thought, well, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put a spotlight on on women. Um, but, um, I'd love for you. Yes. How did you meet judge Frank Caprio? I love what he said about Maggie. It's time to take your seat at the table. table. And I wonder yeah. too, if it carried more weight coming from a man rather than a, a woman who I think we typically kind of, you know, lift each other up. Sure. That's a, that's, it's very interesting to think of it that way. I, I met Judge Caprio. There's about one degree of separation in um, Rhode Island. I mean, it's just, it's a very small state and I, I lived there for some time. And I was the chief operating officer of a company called Forensic Risk Alliance, which is an international e-discovery and forensic accounting firm. Actually, they, they have a small office in Providence, so I was able to work there, but they, I was, their bigger offices were in, in London, um, Paris, Washington, D.C., and um, somebody who worked uh, there, our IT person, his his uh, mother was the secretary at the Aurora Civic Association, which is um, an Italian uh, eating club on Federal Hill, which is the Italian section of Providence. And he decided that it, I should meet Judge Caprio. And so he set up a lunch and I forgot to go. So I oh. stood up the judge. And um, I felt terribly and it was not on purpose. It just never ended up on my calendar. It just, you know, so the, um, and I, and I pride myself on not doing things like that. So of course I was horrified and, you know, apologized profusely, but I, we rescheduled the lunch and he, he made me wait about 15 minutes. Um, when I got there, they put me in this, this lobby area and, um, I, I waited and then we sat down and, um, and had lunch and um, he was uh, very funny. He said, do you belong to any other, in Providence, there are several places where you can go have lunch. And he said, do you, you know, do you belong to you do it anywhere else? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, you know, the thing is here, we, we only allow cell phones in the club, not in the parking lot. And it was joking because all the other clubs, you know, have signs up that say, please, no cell phones inside oh. the eating area. So he was, <laughs> he was, he was being funny. Yeah. And, um, he said, do you want to join here? I think it would benefit you. And I said, well, sure. And so um, I did. And we started having lunch together sort of on a regular basis. And he became a true mentor to me. And if people don't know who he is, you do. You just don't realize that he's the judge that's on Facebook all the time that gets, he has, you know, his 
proceedings have billions of followers. He had a television show for a while that was uh, syndicated um, on one of the networks. And um, it's it's real life, everyday, you know, traffic court. But he, he really empathizes with people in a special way. But he did. He, when I was doing this job, I had thought about starting my own company. And I was nervous about doing it because I was a single mother, solely responsible for these two kids, you know, financially. And I was, you know, worried about sort of taking the risk. And he said, the biggest risk you can take is not counting on yourself. You know what mm-hmm. you're going to Go take your seat. Great advice. Wow. Great advice. And I think that gave me that extra push to be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And in the early days of the company, especially, he often gave me sage advice. I would call and say, okay, we're about to go in and pitch or do it this way or that way. And he would, he would advise me. So um, I feel very indebted to him mm. and just out of the goodness of his heart, really. Yeah. So people like that are wonderful people. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, actually, so my next question was about, you know, it, you launched Athena in 2013 and I just was going to ask you, how did you know you were ready? So aside from, you know, the judge's encouragement, um, was there anything else that led you to think this is the time for me to my time. something of my own? Yeah, there were a couple of things. One, um, I um, I was 44 and I realized if I don't do this soon, it's it's going to be getting late to do this. You know, it's going to be harder to do this, I think, in seven or eight years. Not that now that I'm 55, I would tell you that I think you could, you know, I could start a company now. But I, at the time I was thinking, I, you know, if I want to do this, I've got an, enough of a track record now and I've enough professional contacts, mm-hmm. that I think I can, I can start this. And um, I thought we were going to be doing uh, operational consulting in a compliance context. We don't do any of that work. Um, we did for two years, but we ended up being hired to do a bunch of other things that were a lot more fun. And we, we followed the money. And so we grew sort of as, um, as opportunities came up that uh, made sense for us and we knew that we could do. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that I realized there's never going to be the perfect time to do this. You know, um, there's, there's just not. And I was living in Rhode Island, as I mentioned. So in the greater Boston community, we really started, I started the company there. Oh, okay. Um, and then we ended up winning a project that was a pilot project for Comcast. And um, the pilot was very successful. And so they greenlit that project in several other cities. And so we grew um, really staffing that project up. Um, you know, that's sort of how in the very early days, how the company evolved and grew. And so I was down here all the time and I fell in love with Philadelphia. I just did. And I think it's a, it's just so well situated on the East Coast. It has everything to offer that you would want a major metropolitan city to offer, but it's still walkable and approachable. Right. And yes. um, I just, I can't say enough good things about Philadelphia. And so we ended up relocating the headquarters here okay. um, as we, as we grew. And, yeah. um, you know, now I, we have just under a hundred employees and we're, we're right at city hall. And wow. Um, wow. And so. you have, yeah, you've worked with some incredible clients you know, yep. big name clients, notable clients, um, big projects and campaigns. If I were to ask you, you know, and I also, I love that um, you're very intentional and selective about, you know, who you work with and always wanting, 
the impact to be positive. Yes. Have some positive social, um, you know, contribution, I guess I'll say. Is there, is, can you name a favorite project you've worked on? You know, I'm not asking you to say who's your favorite client. Is there one particular project that you just loved and you're, you're so proud of? I think, um, huddle for 100, um, probably stands out if you were to, if you were to force me to pick one, because we've done so many things we're proud of. I mean, you know, we've worked on a lot of digital equity campaigns. We're doing something right now in the Caribbean for uh, Liberty Latin America that is bridging the digital divide in seven countries there, um, again, as a pilot, but will spread everywhere and have brokered public private partnerships with, um, many of the governments to subsidize, uh, internet for families that can't afford it. So kids have access, um, you know, and again, those are the kinds of things we really love to get involved in because there's mm-hmm. the direct line of sight to the impact yeah. that we're having. Yes. But Hubble for 100, um, we were approached by the NFL about three years before their centennial season. Um, and uh, Anna Isaacson, who's their SVP of social responsibility, who is incredible, reached out through um, uh she knew somebody that we had done work for and okay. um, and asked us to come in and pitch what they should do for their centennial season. And um, she then um, uh, said she would send a bunch of materials and we never got the materials. And so my team got pretty nervous. And I said, we're just going to make it up, just make up stuff. We're showing up for this meeting. So we, it was, it was something. So we, we got there and we met and, and it was a great meeting. And, you know, I said, I'm going to break every rule and show you some stuff that we've done in writing because, you know, the minute you show somebody something in a presentation or writing, they, they tend to often view it as like final. And I'm like, think of these as sketches. These are just sketches. These are just initial thoughts. And she said, I love this, but uh, it's not big enough. You need to think really big. We want to change the world. So go back and think bigger. So we went back and we thought bigger and we came in, we met with her and another executive who really runs the NFL every day to day. But I didn't know that when we came into the meeting, I, I wasn't aware of exactly who he was. And um, we met and we gave our proposal. And, um, and I said, remember, you told us to change the world. And so here's what we think. And um, she really liked the concept, but wanted us to play with it. some. So we went back and forth. And then that summer she, um, uh, reached out and said, Maggie, we're going to go with somebody else that's going to run the whole hundred, not just the philanthropic centerpiece, which is what you're bidding on, but everything. But I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Well, we stayed in touch. And um, by that fall, um, they found themselves in, in you know, a bit of a um, crisis. And she called me in October it's like, we're ready to re-engage. Can you be here tomorrow? And I said, sure. So wow. I went and got there. Was the that next year day. in Philadelphia, Maggie? It was in New York. So oh, in New York. It was in New York. And so um, went up and she said, we're going to engage you. You all were the only agency that we met with way back that said for our centennial season, uh, you know, for the philanthropic centerpiece, we needed, you need, we needed to focus on social justice issues. And she said, so you're hired, but we don't want to do your concept. We want to do something else. So um, we came up with Huddle for 100, and we got a million people to give 100 minutes of time through huddles. And at the end of the day, over 1,200 huddles, 
almost 400 million minutes of time, 397 million minutes of time. To put that into context, that's over 750 years of volunteer time. All 32 teams participated, all 32 owners, all 32 coaches. The NFL did six tentpole events starting at draft, culminating at Super Bowl. Um, the economic impact of just the time was $168 million. That does not include the boys and girls clubs that got refurbished across the country, football fields that got built, playgrounds that got refurbished, cancer screenings, letters to active yeah. military. The list is endless of what people came up with. We ran a micro sweepstakes as part of it. It was a really incredible thing to work on. And um, it is to date the most successful community campaign in NFL history. So we are super proud of that. They won the ESPY um, Humanitarian League of the Year Award um, as a result of that. And another initiative we worked on uh, with them called Draftathon, uh, which raised money for COVID relief efforts during mm -hmm. the virtual draft um, that occurred in uh, 2020. So um, really, really enjoy our relationship with them. They are terrific to work with. The team we get to work with is incredibly talented and caring. So I think of any one project, that one really stands out. Mm -hmm. But gosh, we've gotten to work on some really fun things. We we led um, the city of Philadelphia's bid for the World Cup. Um, David Cohen That's hired us to do that. It was super yeah. fun. We loved yeah. that. So I think we're really lucky in terms of the things we get hired to do. I feel very, very fortunate about the kinds of things we get asked to tackle. Yes. And, and, yeah. and it's just coming back. It's so interesting when you, you know, you put your heart and soul in something and you get a no. And then a couple of years later, sometimes it comes back around that, that means yep. you're, you're presenting yourself and saying the right things. It might just not be the right time. Do you talk to your team about that? You know, so there's, I'm sure they have a, a feeling of, you know, Rejection. Yes, especially if you really put everything into it. Yes. Well, I can tell you that when when that project we thought went away, I kept saying to the team, it is not. We just we just don't we don't have the whole story yet. Hang on. We're going to you know, we're going to keep at this. And so yes. you're right. But and, and then there are some things that we've been on that we would have loved to have been part of that that we we haven't gotten. And, you know, other people have and they've done a wonderful job. And so um, but. Yes, you know there. You if you um, if you want to start your own company, I think you have to be willing to really put yourself out there. And so sometimes you're incredibly embarrassed when things don't work out the way you thought they would, and you kind of have to get comfortable with that. Yeah. Do you ever? You know, a hundred employees is is a good size company. Um, what's your um, your vision to, to get bigger, or do you want to stay this that's big enough and it's manageable enough? And this is where we want to be. No, I want to get bigger. Uh, as far as that is concerned, I'm unapologetically sort of ambitious. I think the work that we do is really incredible. We have an incredibly talented senior team and, um, I want Athena to go the distance. I really do. I'm that's, that's my dream. Yeah, good for yeah. you. I'm so impressed by your, um, I guess, tenacity. Just, are you an optimist by nature? Yes. Or are you more, or is it about, here's a question for you, because when I think about your life story, and at one point in the interview, you said something about doing something to prove that you could. Mm -hmm. um, if I were to ask you, what is behind your drive? 
what do you think that is? Is it truly just the joy and excitement of of these challenges, or is there something that you you want to prove to yourself or to yeah. someone else? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I was born this way. I think I've always been um, a driver, um, you know. And it, it's it's interesting because my older sister has done more studying about sort of our family. My children joke, don't mention any of the dead people when we go visit Aunt Elizabeth because she's going to, she'll bring up all the, all the ancestors. We'll have to hear stories for two hours. <laughs> but my uh, my great-grandmother ran a summer camp uh, at the turn of the century at the base of Pikes Peak from Memphis. And um, wow. I think that I got some of her whatever it is that she had. Um, I really do. I, I so, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, it's so fast. Ancestry is really fast. If I had the time, if I if I didn't have a full-time job, I would be building our tree and figuring that out and looking back because I so believe we get bits and pieces from, you know, not just our parents, but people before. Uh-huh. And figuring that out is so fun. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I There's only a couple minutes left. I, I had a lot of other questions for you. Here's what I'd love to ask you. Um, I too had a fascination with with philosophy and right human nature and what what is it about human beings that um, drive them and and who they become you know what have you learned about people just people in general through the work that you've been doing because you have worked with people from diverse backgrounds and you know is there anything that has surprised you or is there anything that makes you um, optimistic about humans in general, because we certainly see a lot of the bad in, in media, right? We're constantly, especially here in Philadelphia, you know, some days it brings me down. Um, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting because you asked if I was an optimist earlier and I answered pretty quickly. Yes. Cause I think just instinctively I am, but I think what I've learned about human nature is that if you give people the opportunity to give you their best. And if they know that you are giving them your best, you know, that you're really trying, almost always people will really try. They really will. If you open up to them and all your fragility, you know, I mean, knowing that you're not perfect and are very quick to point out, you know, I don't know all the answers. I don't always get this all right, but Mm. how about we give this a go? Mm. People will, will usually jump in with you and, 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 and give it a go with you. Yeah. I think. Um, and so I think that makes me an optimist. I feel like we have a lot of people here who've come from all different backgrounds and part of what drove them to, uh, you know, or or inspired them to want to be here is that direct line of sight I talked about in terms of the meaning of the work. And, um, I think that opens you up in a way to start with, um, that allows us to get at it in a, in a way that's just, uh, maybe a little rawer, but also, um, like we all know that's where we're coming from to start with. And, and we don't have to get through any of that to, to proceed. You know, those are table stakes. Yes. And I would imagine you've created quite a culture of trust in your company. Trust yes. is really important, right? Yes, and yeah. and collaboration. We are team players. Yeah, um, 
really, that's very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this interview, Maggie, and I thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your having me. Stay with us as we go into the break and you'll hear from one of our uh, watch team partners, Visit Philly. We'll be right back. Stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for being with me. Um, Stay tuned for my interview next week with Sylvie Laurenti. She is a researcher and professor uh, for the College of Engineering at Villanova University. Um, Thank you, as always, to our sponsors, our watch team of corporate partners, um, and to Helm Creative. Have a great week, everyone. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between, For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today.